Anita and Sarah and Robin, I think it was. Some of you have shared some of your stories, so I feel a little bit more at home. And then um, I see Josh brought his women with him today, so that's really good. Nice to have you guys here. So like I said, it's kind of tricky to have a conversation uh, sometimes when, um, you know, with someone that you don't know. And um, those who know me here, who know me best, like Catherine and Lawrence and Henry and Y. Kennedy, you guys know that I can have a conversation with almost anybody. And that's part of the role of being a chaplain at a university. I provide spiritual support for students and staff, largely in a place where they don't like religious people. I would appreciate your prayers, <laughs> those of you who pray. <laughs> um, and so for the kids and the teens who have stayed in here today, I hope somewhere along the, the way in what we talk about this morning that there'll be some nuggets that you might appreciate too and some of the pictures that I'll have up as um, part, of, part of my conversation. Um, maybe, maybe there'll be something in there that you guys will remember that you'll take away with. Hopefully there'll be some nuggets there, right? Um, as a chaplain, both at Massey University and in the community, um, I see people tripped up by the same things over and over again. Um, they either don't give God a chance at all, or they throw in the towel a bit too soon. Hmm. I'm kind of like that in some areas of my life. And some of you in this room who know me best may not know this story. I took a piano lesson when I was a kid. One. <laughs> um, and at the end of the lesson, I reckoned that the teacher wasn't very good because I couldn't play the piano. So I never went back. That tells you far more about me than it does about that teacher. And those of us who uh, have a little bit of salt and pepper in our hair, who have lived long at all, we know that some things require a little bit more effort than that. And I find that that's also true with growing our faith, with our spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a, it's a process. It's a growth kind of a thing. So faith, faith is one of those things that chaplains are supposed to know a little bit about, right? We're supposed to be able to encourage people in their journey and their walk, wherever they come from, wherever they're starting, you know, wherever they've gotten bogged down or tripped up over something on the way. But if there's a lack of co cooperation between the head and the heart, we can either go really cerebral or we can go really all in for the heart and for the passion of it all, when I think we really are best served by both. Now, keeping in mind that as a chaplain, I often see people tripped up, right? I see people who, who give away their faith at some point. I'm going to have to figure out how to manage my, my notes up here a little bit. Many people I meet on campus tell me that they were raised in the church, but then they didn't stick with it over time. And I'm always curious. Often they didn't see the sense of it. They never really had a personal relationship with God. Maybe they were too much in their head. They never really meaningfully connected with God as a person. I reckon they were potentially engaging more in religion than in relationship. And I juxtapose those. I put those, you know, maybe on a continuum. You know, they're not the same thing. We can engage in religion, 
and not actually have a relationship with God, with a good and beautiful God. And so one of the things I want us to explore today is who is God? How can we know who God is? Who am I? And then why do I think all of that? Because how we arrive at where we are today, it's a convoluted journey. It, uh, it sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, those who are anti-God or anti-church, they've often dis been disappointed by, um, by people like me, by church folks, by people who say they follow Christians, but sometimes we follow, we follow Jesus, but sometimes we follow Jesus badly, and so we put people off. Sometimes... It's because they had an ill-formed or an unformed idea about who God really is. So sometimes we get this idea that, you know, maybe God is like Father Christmas. Or he's like the concierge or the bellboy at the hotel, you know. And if we just call and shout out, you know, right at exam time or whatever, then God will respond. That's how the students are. There's always a crisis of faith right around exam times. Yeah. So do you know anyone like that who maybe gave it all away because they didn't really develop a good enough understanding or get to know God well? I know several. I reckon they didn't allow their God to grow up. It's hard to have an ongoing, satisfying relationship with somebody you don't know. How true is that? Do you ever watch any of those reality TV shows where it's like, was it love at first sight or married at first sight? Or That just scares the bejeebers out of me, right? It's hard to have an ongoing relationship with somebody you, know, you, don't, you don't know. It's not going to be very satisfying. There's bound to be some confusion or at least some misunderstandings there. I mean, how long have you guys been married? Any confusion, misunderstandings? No. Okay. And they've been working at it. And they've been working at it. So imagine when you're new in a relationship and you're trying to make sense of stuff, it requires a little bit of effort, right? Without knowing who God is or if he's for us or against us, that's an important thing. Is God for me or against me? But without knowing who God is, how can I respond to the stuff of life that comes at me? And there's a lot coming at us. When I was a kid, the phone hung on the wall. Now it's in my pocket, and even if I put it on silent, it still vibrates, you know? We've got a lot of stuff coming at us. How do we make sense of all of that stuff if we don't know who God is? Knowing who God is is vitally important. Otherwise, how do we navigate, calibrate, make decisions, figure out what our values are, or even who I am if I don't have a frame of reference to someone. So that's what I often ask the students and the staff at Massey University when we meet up over a cuppa, when they're struggling to sift through the stuff of life. Well, my new boyfriend thinks this. Okay, what did your old boyfriend think? Did you, like, never mind. Or their teacher, their lecturer challenged the, the faith of their childhood and they didn't know how to respond on the spur of the moment in the lecture or in the tutorial. Or they've come up against some confronting ideas about colonialism, about gender identity, 
about the institution and authority and power of the church or the government or any other authorities that we have? Do I follow my heart and do something meaningful or do I follow the money? Mm, follow the money. How much compromise is okay? Will we even survive if the whole ice shelf melts and the sea levels rise? Oh no, I'm, I'm the only person who can do anything about the inequality for the impoverished children or the war in Ukraine. And, and there's so much coming at us all the time. It can get a bit nuts if we're all on our own in this and if it's all up to us. So I think having a reference, having a handle to knowing who God is, it's a great comfort to me when I feel bombarded. Sometimes when I feel bombarded, I feel like it's easier just to check out. There's lots of ways. They call it narcotizing, and it doesn't always require chemicals. Sometimes it's just gaming or social media or, you know, whatever. But others, it can be chemicals. It takes courage to engage, to seek a place to stand, to seek integrity in our beliefs and our values and our actions. It takes courage to know who you are. And at my age, I think it takes a bit of courage to know who I am becoming because I'm not, uh, I'm not who I always was. I'm just gonna throw these on the floor. So, I ask. I ask the students and the staff at the university, and I ask you today, who do you think God is? If you were to describe him, his character and his nature, who would you think God was? Why? What, what do you think God is like? Do you think he's for you, or do you think he's against you? Okay? Those of you who are between the ages of, say, 10 and 15, Who's that? Who in here is between the ages of 10 and 15? All right. Do you think God is for you or against you? What do you reckon? Do you think he's for you or against you? Do you think he's on your side or do you think he's on the other side, the enemy? Huh? I see some, I see some shoulders. Nobody's willing. You think I'm asking a trick question, don't you? Yeah. If we read scripture in the light of Jesus and in the light of grace and in the light of God's love, then we will know that God is for us. And now a lot of scripture does say that as a follower of Christ, this is how it would be good for us to live. This is how we reflect and mirror who Jesus is in the community. But I'm convinced that my behavior and my actions and how I mirror Jesus comes out of me knowing that God is for me. It comes out of grace. It comes out of knowing that I am loved and I am accepted. And then my behavior will flow out of that as a result of, uh, of God's grace and generosity and my gratitude for what he's given me. So who is God? What do you think God is like? Is God for you or against you? And why... Do you think that? I think the why we think that is key to unraveling the messed up ideas that we have about God sometimes. Now, fortunately, Sarah had an amazing 
Baptist, American, none of that matters. She had an amazing woman. She had an amazing person who told her about Jesus and made it really fun and engaging and attractive. And in time, fruit came from that, you know? Robin, the same thing for you, was it you or was it that in time, wasn't it, that it was you, that in time, fruit came from that first hearing of the gospel. My heart really aches for the students and the staff and even for some of us in this room who've received a really dodgy idea or who've assembled really poor ideas about who God is. And many times these dodgy ideas that we've assembled and have become this construct around God, they're not consistent with Scripture. They make it seem like God is not approachable. They make it seem like he's angry all the time or he's too far away or... And sometimes, sometimes people think of God as being purely transactional. Purely transactional. If I'm good, then God, if this, then the, if. And a lot of people respond to Jesus and respond to God and the gospel based on what's in it for me. Is this going to serve me? And part of the reason they do that is because that's how the gospel has been sold to them. So I like to unravel that a little bit in my chaplaincy and the conversations I have on campus. God initiated reconciling us to himself. Listen to how scripture explains who God is. Um, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And he died for us while we were still sinners. Did you get that? While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Not when you were already good. Not when you were already redeemed. Not when you had your little ducks in a row. Why do we always pick on ducks? Why did they always have to be in a row? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But this is the bit. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What about elsewhere in scripture? Hebrews chapter 4. Um, I don't have a slide for that. But, but, it, but God says, come and approach me. I am for you. I am not against you. I am for you. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, So then, since we have such a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. So, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Can you imagine strutting right up to the throne of God and saying, pay attention to me? That's what the scripture says we can do. And it says there we will receive his mercy 
and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. God is not merely a concept or a theological construct. He is a good and beautiful God. God loves. God forgives. God reconciles. God cheers for us. God hopes. He leans in. God pays attention to us. He redeems. He returns value to where value was lost or diminished. God creates. He created me. He created you. He created those who love you. He created those we interact with at school or at work or in our play. Oh. Wow. That means I have to interact with them on the basis of them being God's creation too. That could, should change things in how I interact with people. And yet many of us, many of us have no clear idea of who we are. We have no clear idea of our own identity or our personhood. And those around us, they, they don't. And so we're all just trying to bump into each other kind of sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't go very well. We let influencers and advertisers have a say in who we are by the brands we wear or what we drive. We align ourselves with various tribes, either rugby union or rugby league, by this band or that genre, by this flag or that flag. There's all these different tribes. That, but what if we all looked at each other as a man or a woman or a child whom God created? sacred and dearly loved. Now, Henry Nouwen, um, an old Frenchman long ago whom I often read and I often quote, we too often define ourselves and our success on the basis of how I look, what I have, or what I do. We often define ourselves and our success on the basis of how I look, what I have, and what I do. How I look, well, that changes. It changes all the time for all of us. But for me, I've got more salt now than I think I have. No, more, more salt now than I have pepper. You know, these things change. What I have, well, that too is fickle and not very reliable. My dad was in the middle of a, of a hurricane that tore through Florida this last week. And when you look on the map and you look through the reddest part of the stormiest, yucky, my dad's house was right under that. So fortunately, he didn't lose his home. But a lot of people in Florida now, right now are having to rethink who they are because it no longer is about what they own. We have floods here in New Zealand. We have storms and fires, and we are not our stuff. What about what I do? Do I want to be defined by what I do? I am so much more than my job. I am so much more than my performance. This is really a message for the politicians who didn't win yesterday, right? Some of them are unemployed. Some of them don't know what to do with themselves. They put everything they had into this, and then they didn't win. So do they define themselves on the basis of their performance or that outcome? It can be the same for injured athletes. 
This can be the same for anybody who loses their job or has to make a change. It can be true for Fiji or South Africa yesterday. This can be true for people with impairments or disabilities. We are not how we look, what we have, or what we do. How about, how about we let God say who we are? How about if we decide that we agree with God and we are sacred? We are chosen. We are loved. What if you look at the person next to you and just say to them, you are sacred? They probably will think you're a little weird. But it's not any less true. You are loved. You are chosen. You are designed, divinely designed by God with beauty, value, purpose, and meaning. What if we lived out of that message rather than some of the other messages that we receive, especially in the formative years of our lives? Do you believe that God loves you as you are without conditions, that it's not transactional? We live at the mercy of our ideas, our ideas about God and our ideas about ourselves. That's what Dallas Willard said. We live at the mercy of our ideas. So it's very important that we get the right ideas, eh? The right ideas. Now, I'm trying to skip through my notes here a little bit because I can see that I'm over time and I'm not sure if that's my fault or Nate's fault. I'd rather blame Nate. Um, but every false message that we receive in life and every false message that every little girl or every young boy receives in life needs to be countered or challenged by who does God say I am? Who does God say you are? Some of us as adults, we're still kids on the inside. We are emotionally sometimes affected by the things that were said to us when we were kids. What if the message to each one of us had to do with who God says that we are? Now, how do we get this sorted out? Sometimes people get up and they speak and they tell you, you shouldn't think this and you should think this, but they don't give you a how-to. They don't give you any tips or tools on how to do anything. So, let me illustrate this with a story. Imagine a dad like Lawrence. He goes upstairs and he puts the kids in bed and... In this case, it was a little boy he put in bed. So let's imagine Henry when he was little. He puts Henry in bed. Henry's not in here right now, so we can pick on him. Puts Henry in bed, and he kisses him goodnight, and he says, sleep tight, son. And then he turns out the light, and he goes downstairs. And after a little bit, there's this, this big thump. And then there's silence. And you know what happens in that silence, the kids catching their breath. And then there's a scream and crying. Oh. So Lawrence runs up the steps as fast as he can, and he sees Henry lying on the floor. And he checks and makes sure that nothing's broken, that he's okay. And then he picks him up, and he puts him on his lap sitting on the floor, and he says, son, what happened? And Henry's rubbing whichever part of him got bumped the worst, and he says, I don't know, Daddy. I think I stayed too close to where I got in. Sometimes... When we meet Jesus, when we hear the gospel, when we give church a go, check out those weird people. 
Sometimes we stay a little close to where we got in. We don't jump right in and get to know this God who created us. We don't jump right in and get to know this Jesus who gave everything he had for us. We don't jump right in and get to know this crazy book and try to figure out the wisdom and the teaching and the guidance and the truth that we can find in scripture. Can I encourage you to jump in? Can I encourage you to jump in? Church Northwest, I, I might know a third of you. The third of you that I do know I like. The rest of you, the jury's still out, but there's great hope and potential. I think this is a safe church. I think this is a church in which you'll be able to find Jesus. And you'll come to know grace. And you'll be loved in a church fano who will walk with you and accompany you and guide you. And so today you've been given a worksheet. Um, it's something that I do when I, when I talk with people. You were given a sheet of paper when you came in. Take that away with you. You don't need to do anything with it right now, but take that away with you, and in a quiet moment, maybe you'll be able to, um, to look through that, and you'll be able to kind of do some work, actually, and you'll be able to get a better grasp of what the Scripture says about who God is and figure out, figure out who he is to you and figure out for the next season of your life how you're going to walk with God. We are all being spiritually formed. We are spiritually formed by our childhood experiences, by the songs we've sung today, by the messages you've heard, by the relationships, good, bad, or ugly. We're all being formed. There's a time to be intentional about how you're going to be formed. There's a time to take a little bit of responsibility in doing the work to nurture that seed of faith that is in you and see how God might develop that.